Thank you, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's open our time together in prayer, and uh, then we'll spend a little time in the Word. I think we're going to have fun this morning. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's a joy to be back with you, and I enjoyed my time here last time, and uh, I know it's going to be a great time again this time. So let's just pray together, shall we? Father, we are so dependent upon you. Lord, as believers, the only reason we are believers is because of the work you've done in us. On our own, Lord, we would flee, we would run, we would hide. And our tendency is to, to, to continue to do that. But Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts, that we would see your goodness, that we would see the disciplines and the graces that you have given to us in order that we can submit our hearts to you and grow in holiness, that your name will be lifted up by the way we live, by the thoughts we have, by the feelings we harbor, and by the decisions we make. Lord, would you work in us for this end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, I haven't even said anything. So, okay, well, let me give you a, just a 30-second flying intro. So Michael and I know each other from the Master's Seminary. We did our Master of Divinity together there. Uh, after the, I did my undergraduate degree in biblical counseling at the Master's University. And as I was getting near the end of my time at uh, the Master's Seminary, I was thinking I might go and plant a church back in New Zealand. And as you do, you start to think, well, how am I going to do that? I thought I'm going to need a team. I sent an email to a friend of mine in New Zealand saying, you know, I'm thinking of planting a church in the area that you are and that I used to live. And would you be interested in joining me in that? Would you be interested in helping me with that church plant? And he said to me, you know, I'll think about it. And you know that when your friends say they will think about it, that's really a no, right? And you're sunk. And so for me, it was like, well, clearly the Lord's not calling me to church planting. And so then that sort of led me to this tailspin of what do I do? And I talked to a number of people and an opportunity came up for me at the, I went to the uh, ACBC conference in 2000 and I guess it was 2014, October 2014. And I met there, um, I was there with people from our church and there was a guy there from Southern, from the biblical counseling department there. And I was keen on biblical counseling. I'd learned a lot through my undergraduate degree, and so I started exploring that. And through the uh, encouragement of others who, had, um, who knew me and people who knew about the program a little bit, they encouraged me to apply for that program. Uh, I did. There were five of us apply for that program that year, or in that semester, and um, the Lord provided so that I was one of the two people who was accepted into it. And then beyond that, uh, it's it's $1,000 a month for this thing. And the Lord provided for the first year of uh, my training, all the, all the tuition. Then when I went back to New Zealand, someone said to me, you know what, I really support you doing this. I'm going to pay for all your flights to and fro New Zealand and Louisville. Uh, and then from there, in fact, I'm now halfway through my program and I still have not paid a cent toward my $1,000 a month tuition. So... The Lord has been very gracious and has made it very clear that this is the right path for me to be on. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's very easy to doubt yourself. And um, it's wonderful to have the Lord sort of step in and support the work that you're doing and make it really clear that this is the path you're to be walking in. And so I'm really thankful for that. One of the things that I'm doing as I go through all of this is I'm working on well, what, is, what is my ministry in New Zealand if I'm not church planting? What does that look like? And so early this year, I have a friend who, he came to TMS with us. He went back a few months before we did. <coughs> Excuse me. He, um, he became the pastor of a small church in a town called New Plymouth. And uh, 18 months into that, things weren't going very well. There was a leadership change. Uh, they essentially, the new leader, the new leader of the elders. In fact, they never actually brought him on as an elder, which was very poor. Uh, one of the, the chief, the, the chief, the chief elder, I guess that's a good term for it in this case, um, the leader of the elders, he said, well, he was very anti to this particular individual and uh, 
he ended up resigning his pastorate. And some people said to him, look, if you're thinking about planting a church, we'll join you. And so that led to him and, uh, and I worked with him on this through October last year, uh, begin to look at planting a church. That church started in October and now it's underway. It's been underway for a while. We're at sort of about 40. And in January this year, we relocated from where we were to join that and to be uh, a permanent part of it. So, so he's the staff member. He's the pastor. My job there is really to support him and to make sure that he has everything he needs and all the support he needs. Uh, and to some extent, I guess, you know, a lot of that, you know, pastoring is a, can be a very lonely business. And it's very helpful sometimes to have a like-minded person around you who can support you and back you up. And so that's my role. So I'm, as I'm going, I'm thinking, well, how am I going to support my family? What's my ministry? And so what I've been doing is working on building out online training curriculums. Initially, uh, I have... Uh, and so what I'm going to teach you this morning is really taking one of the, my first course that will be released next... Well, later this month, probably... And I'm condensing it down into about 45 minutes. So this is eight or so hours of lecture content. And um, I'm going to give it to you in about 45 minutes. So, so it'll be fun. But um, so what I'm going to give you is really a, a small part of a larger piece of content. And I really want to make this practical. I want this to be helpful for you. So what we're going to look at this morning is the basics, the foundations of what I call a transformative quiet time. So how many of you know what I mean by a quiet time? Okay, so Christians, a lot of Christians will have a devotional life. And the idea of, you know, so it might look, it looks different from one person to another. Some people will, you know, for most of us, it will mean reading the Bible and praying. What's, what people struggle with, though, often is they struggle with the reason. Well, why do we do this? What's the benefit of it? How does it actually work in me? How do I maintain regularity in that quiet time? And is that even important? And so this morning, I want us just to spend this time very practically thinking about how can I be uh, consistent in that, why it's important to be consistent, and then some just basic tips for how to structure that time. But let's start in the Word of God. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah or Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start here, and, and there's a lot. I could spend all our time just in this passage. It's a very rich passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, and there's a lot for us to take away from this. But what I want you to see from this time in Isaiah is really that, you know, when we look at, uh, when we look at Isaiah, what we see is what happens when a human being, when an individual encounters the living God. And because the reason for that is because this helps us to capture why we need to spend time with the Lord in the morning. Uh, and I'm going to say in the morning, but I know that it's not going to work in the morning for everybody. So just you'll just have to bear with me in that. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Now, I don't know how you guys do this. Do you, do you normally, do you have me read the text? Do you read the text? So let's do it this way then. I'm going to get you to read the text, okay? That way I know that you're engaged with me. All right, so let's start in Isaiah 6. Would you like to read... Uh, let's just start by reading verses 1 through 8. Uzziah, yep. You know what? Just stop there for the moment. That's good. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important to see here is that Isaiah is standing here. So this is the this yeah. Uzziah. I could tell you all about Uzziah. There's a lot of stuff. I've got too much to go through, and I've already taken up ten minutes telling you who I am. It's terrible. So um, so Uzziah was a was the king of Israel. One of the problems with Uzziah was that he became proud, and he said that I am the king. I can go into the temple, and I can do what do the act, the function of a priest. 
And you'll find this in uh, Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter 26. So he went, maybe it's Second Chronicles, he went in and uh, he tried to offer incense. And the problem with that was that he was trying to fulfill a role that belonged only to a priest, but he was a king. The only person, there's only one person who can fulfill the role of both a king and a priest, and that is Jesus Christ. And so he was taking up the role, really, that the Messiah would later take up. So this was an act of real arrogance. And what we find here in this is that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the true Lord. And who he's saying he sees here is not, you know, the, uh, is not merely the, um, the, the angel of the Lord, but actually Christ. If you go over to John chapter 12, you find there that John says, Isaiah said these things and the things he's going to say in a minute because he saw him, Christ, and he saw his glory. And so what we see here is that Isaiah gets a very clear understanding of who God is from this passage, well, from this vision rather. He sees, first of all, what do you think is the most important thing that Isaiah sees in this vision? What about the Lord stood out to him? Okay, his glory. More specifically, what attribute, character attribute? Holiness. Yeah, God's holiness stood out to him. This is really important. See, as, as Isaiah, for the first time probably in his life, sees God, well, let me not say for the first time, but for the most clear time in his life, sees the Lord, the thing that stands out to him is his holiness. His holiness. And look at verse Four, uh, verse 5, what happens when Isaiah sees the Lord? He says, what? Woe is me. Why would he say that? In fact, take a step back for a minute. What Isaiah is, he's not there sort of doing what Peter, James, and John, well, like what Peter said on that Mount of Transfiguration, hey, it's good for us to be here, Lord. How about we make some tents? He doesn't do that, does he? So when he sees the holiness of Christ, Specifically, in this particular instance, the one thing that stands out to him is his sin, his true status. And you can see here, there's a connection between the the clarity with which we see God and the clarity with which we see ourselves. You see, if we don't see ourselves rightly, if we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, that's an indicator that we haven't understood and seen the Lord as clearly as we ought. And so here's the question for you and I, is how does, this, how, does this, how does this affect us? How does this apply to you and me? Well, let's read a couple of verses. Who would like to read 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3? Thank you. And someone like to read Romans 8, verse, I think it's verse 29. Someone like, yep, thank you. And uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Thanks. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, first of all. Yeah. So what is the will of God? According to that verse, for us, for you and I? Yes. Specifically, sanctification. In this case, he singles that down to abstaining from sexual immorality, but holiness. Sanctification is the Greek word from, you know, it means basically our holinification, if you want to, that's a terrible word, which is why we use the word sanctification. We understand that better, right? I'm making words up a little bit there. But the point is that what God's will for you and I is, is holiness, that we be holy. That's what happened with Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he saw his unholiness. And what we'll notice from Isaiah 6 assuming I get back there, is that that transformed Isaiah. Isaiah, sorry. <laughs> so, so God's will for you and I is our holiness, our sanctification. Have a look at Romans chapter 8, verse Yeah, this is a classic verse because so many people, when we come here, we, we read it and we go, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And we stop and we go, see, you know, there's this whole thing about election. And the point of this verse is not that. Yes, that's there. But this is, 
this idea of being predestined here is what we call a transitive verb, okay? The idea of transport, this verb is taking us somewhere. What is the phrasing that follows the, the, uh, the predestined? He predestined us to something, right? What did he predestine us to? Conformity to the image of his son. What does that look like? Holiness, right? Christ was holy in all he did in his life, and we are to be conformed to his image. So here, what he's saying, what Paul is saying, is that God chose you and I for that end, that we would be holy. And look at Colossians chapter 1. Who had that? Thank you. Uh, verse, verse, let me just get there. This is, yeah, 9 and 10. Yeah, notice there, the, the, this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Paul has never been to Colossae, right? Never visited it. It was planted by a man na- by the name of Epaphras, um, who left, got converted under Paul's ministry, and then went back and planted this church in Colossae. And so here, Paul is saying, even though I haven't met you, I pray for you. Here's what I pray. I pray that you may be filled with what? The knowledge of God's will. Now, when you go back to Isaiah, what do you think Isaiah knew about God's will at that point? He knew that God wants him to be holy, right? And so here, Paul has the same idea, and there's a result. That's what we see in verse 10. So he prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And what does that mean? To please him in all respects. So here again, we have that same idea that God's purpose for you and I is that we be holy, is that we be pure. And what we find from Isaiah is the way that comes about is by confrontation of our hearts before the truth of who God is. When we understand and grow in the knowledge of God and of His will, we should see ourselves more clearly. We should see our sin more clearly, more, it should be more evident to us. And if we aren't growing in our understanding of our sinfulness, then frankly, we're, we're just not getting our head around who God really is. Because God is not merely a God of love. Yes, God is love. We all know that from 1 John chapter 4. But God is not merely love, right? It is never said in the Bible Love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. But twice in the Bible, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we need to be careful when we think about who God is that we balance His character attributes rightly. And when we fail to get those attributes you know, in balance, then we end up ultimately deceiving ourselves and making an image out of God in our own, of our own fashioning. So we've got to be very careful to read the Bible and say, well, what does God say about us? What does God say? And so, and so for us, not only do we need to see God and know who He is, and then with the goal of being transformed, with the goal of becoming holy, but this comes into our quiet time. This is why we need this regular time with the Lord, so that we can stand before the living God, stand before Him as He reveals Himself in His Word, so that we can see ourselves and respond rightly to Him which is how we come to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So how does that work? Well, let's, let's have a look at... Um, so would someone like to read for us Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and then perhaps somebody else... You know what? I'll read Mark chapter 7. Proverbs 4, 23. Would someone like to read that? Michael, thank you. Proverbs 4, 23 says... Yeah, so the springs of life come from our, flow from our heart. 
So, and Jesus says the same thing in Mark chapter 7. You know, he's with the crowd stand aside and they're talking. He's just been talking about, you know, food and, you know, that which comes in doesn't defile us. And after the crowd leaves, the disciples ask him about this. And he says, Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it goes into his stomach? Um, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the heart of man, out of the man, that's what defiles the man, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, acts of wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, from the heart, and defile the man. And so when we come to you know, spend time in our, in, the, in our own Bible reading every, you know, when we do that, uh, and we'll talk about regularity in a minute, but the focus needs to be our heart because that's where things come from. And I'm just going to skip through a couple of things very briefly. The heart is really made of, there's a number of functions that the heart provides, but when it comes to our holiness, there are three functions that is useful for us to know. First of all, the Bible talks about our heart as the piece of us that thinks, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, right? So the heart is the seat of our thinking, but it's also the place where we have feelings and affections. In Matthew 5, 28, the man lusts after this woman in his, his heart, right? So you have desires and feelings, and we're going to talk a lot more about that in our, um, in our service this morning. Not about Matthew, but about affections and feelings, and desires more specifically. But then there's a third function, and that is the will or our volition. Uh, so we make decisions with our heart. And you see that in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where Peter asks, well, why did the devil put this in your heart to do this act? Right? So, so there's three functions. There's thinking, feeling, and then volition or our will. So when we come to the Word of God, that's, where we, that's the kind of the level we need to be thinking at. When we see the holiness of God and we see the character of God, what we need to be doing is recognizing and looking at not merely what we do, but our hearts, the affections of our heart, the desires of our heart, the decisions we make, the commitments that we have, the thoughts that go through our mind. In fact, the, the things that occupy our thoughts even can be an indicator of what's really valuable to us. But all of these are part of the heart. And, and so, you know, this, this is really good to know because then this, you can ask questions like this. Well, what if I don't feel close to the Lord? Right? What do you say to that? What if I don't feel like, feel like I'm close to the Lord? Well, there's three functions of the heart, right? If you're going to let your feelings control you, you're really being led by just one of those functions of the heart. But we know what the Bible says about submission to the Lord and doing what He says. And we have the ability to do that irrespective of how we feel about it. And so he who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, he, what? He sins. Yeah, so, so we're not called... So on the one hand, there's a good thing in this, Right? On the one hand, we don't do just what we feel like doing. But on the other hand, when we do recognize that I don't feel like doing this, at least now we have the ability to say, my feelings are not right before the Lord. If I don't feel like having a, you know, spending time with the Lord, maybe that says more about my heart than what I give it credit for. And in fact, this is one of the really good starting points I find for myself, when I get up in the morning and I do my quiet time in the morning and I, you know, go, go to that, I have a place, I have a reading table, it's about the same height as this, it's not a pulpit, uh, but it's um, just a place where I can stand and read and I do my quiet time there and one of the things I do when I first get there is, do I feel like doing a quiet time today? Do I feel like this? And if the answer is anything less than a resounding absolutely, and it normally is something less than a resounding absolutely, then I know where to start. The problem is my heart. The problem is my affections are different to God's, what the, the affection God wants. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, God commands our affections, rejoice in the Lord always. That's a command. 
He commands us to feel a certain way. And so when I don't feel that way, essentially, that tells me something about where my heart is. And so that gives me an opportunity then to, to confront my heart, to bring that, those affections before the Lord and to ask the Lord to change me and to help me to, to turn my heart to Him, to turn my affections to Him. Maybe I'm thinking about I've got a whole lot of other things to do during the day and that's where my focus is. Well, again, the Lord is more important than those things and I need His help in those things. So again, I know that those, I need to take those thoughts captive, right? And so I need to bring those before the Lord as well. And it may be that I'm just deciding, you know, I'm not going to do a Bible reading today, in which case I need to look at my will, my volition, the actions, the decisions, the commitments that I make. And I need to bring those before the Lord as well. And so I personally, I don't know about you, but for me personally, recognizing where my heart is first thing in the morning is a tool for personal transformation because God is holy and I have these corrupt feelings. I have corrupt thoughts. I have a corrupt volition. I have these drawings in different directions and the Lord calls me to be holy like He is holy. And so now I can start somewhere and the Lord is gracious and He is kind and He is merciful. And you know what we've just read? He wants to help us change. And so that's where our quiet times are so important because it's where we get to see who God is, we get to understand what's going on in our own heart, and we get to bring those two things together. Now, let me give you, uh, I'm going to change the order of what I've got in my notes here. Let me give you four different disciplines that I want to encourage you to do in your quiet time. So most of us will probably read the Bible, right? Who reads the Bible in their quiet time? Pretty much everybody, right? And then pray. Okay, maybe not as many of us pray. Don't put your hand up. But, uh, you know, reading the Bible and prayer are two common things we do. Let me give you some other things. First of all, there are really four, I think, four key disciplines that are helpful in your quiet time. The first one, is, may surprise you, is actually journaling. Journaling. And what do I mean by journaling? So this is really where you get a notebook. It doesn't matter what sort of notebook. Um, and this is where you start to record some of the things that go through your quiet time. So I'm not going to, what I want you to do though, is not to just sort of sit down at the first thing in the morning and just start writing like, you know, whatever comes to mind. You can do that if you want, if you find that helpful. But a better way of doing it is to give yourself some, some questions to ask every morning. So here's what I do. First thing I ask, first thing in the morning is, do I feel like praying today? Today I do or do not feel like praying because... So if the answer is do not feel like praying, the because then prompts me to ask, why? Where is my heart? And so that's the first question I ask myself. Today I do or do not feel like praying because. Second thing I put down there is three things today that I'm going to be thankful for. And these are things that could be you know, my family, it could be some event that's going on, it could be my pastor or the leadership or even the congregation or anything really, the Lord's provision. But just three things that I'm going to give thanks to the Lord for this morning. Then what I do is I actually write down the passages that I'm going to read. So that's another point, today's reading. Afterwards, uh, then I write down three things that are going to make, that I need to do today that will make today a good day. And so all three of those things, they start to, they start to help me think through my heart. So the, where is my heart before the Lord? That's that first question. You know, then the, the questions about thankfulness help me to direct my heart to recognize God. I don't know if you've ever... Notice Romans chapter 1, and I'm, I'm off my notes now, but Romans chapter 1, uh, you'll remember, of course, that this chapter is well known because it tells us about the depravity of man, right? But have you ever noticed that the initial reason people fought, fell away from God in verse 21, it says there, for even though they knew God, they did two, well, they failed to do two things. They did not honor Him as God, and they did not give thanks. And so by having that question there, three things I'm going to give thanks to the Lord for today, helps me to direct my heart to do that which I ought to be doing. And so that's just a prompt for me to 
to direct my heart and set it before the Lord to recognize his grace and kindness and mercy to me, not just in terms of salvation, but even more broadly. So that's journaling. Use those prompts to help you to journal. And that's one of the wonderful things about journaling, and, and this is the thing that is really underrated with it, is that if you follow these kind of prompts or prompts like them, you can add your own, then this starts to structure your quiet time. And what we find is that, you know, remember the three functions of the heart? The What were they? Thinking, the mind, feeling, the affections, and the volition, the will, right? One of the things that we find with these three functions of the heart is they all affect each other. So as we commit to doing something, the volition, the the way we do that, that actually then feeds back into the feelings and the thinking. So the thing with the journaling is that it's a series of things we do that then begins to feed our affections and our mind and starts to direct those in the right direction. And so journaling is not just about writing down things that are in our mind. It actually is a tool for redirecting our heart. And over time, we find that's really quite, uh, quite powerful. The second thing I want you to do in your quiet time is meditate. And I don't mean by that the idea of Eastern meditation where you empty your mind, right? That's not meditation in the Bible. The Bible's meditation is the opposite of that, where you take in the Word of God and you mull it over. In fact, in Joshua 1 verse 8, meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word there has the idea to mutter it to yourself. So you're taking what the Bible says in its text and you're just going over it And the idea is that if your mouth is engaged, your mind is engaged. You're having to remember it, recall the elements of it, and then you're almost preaching it to yourself or speaking it to yourself, reminding yourself of it and applying it, not just in your quiet time, but even throughout the day, right? So meditate on it day and night. I don't know if you, you know, in, in my part of the world, you know, there's only two parts of the day, day and night, right? So that means that always we're to be meditating on the Word of God. But meditation is particularly powerful and important in our Bible reading. So many people these days, you know, there's this huge pressure in our Christian culture to read the Bible in a year. And it's great. There are good, there are times to do that. But, you know, if you're so busy reading that you don't have time to think deeply about what you've just read and how it affects you, what's the point? So we need to let the Word of God change us, and we do that by meditating on it. And then, of course, that leads to Bible reading. And there's a lot more on this, and there's a lot of um, lot of ways of sort of applying this as we go. And some of those are on my website, so you can get that from Michael later on. Um, the other thing, of course, is that determines what sort of Bible reading you're going to have. Sometimes you're going to want to read through the Bible in a year, maybe to get a better understanding of the Word of God. Maybe you want to meditate, though, and just focus on just the New Testament or just the writings of Paul, or John, or Peter. Maybe you just want to see what was the burden of those individual beings. Maybe you want to go back to, to the Pentateuch. Why did God set or provide these first five books of the Bible? What was he trying to teach Israel? And what can I learn from that? And so our Bible reading needs to be structured around really around the needs that we have to grow. Not so much what the culture is doing, not so much what other people think is good and wonderful, but in terms of you know, so that we may know His will, right? So we may know Him, know His will, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. So our Bible reading needs to be structured around the needs of my heart, not around the needs of somebody else. So I would encourage you uh, to, to think about that. And, and there's a bunch of questions you can ask yourself uh, in terms of figuring out what you need to, you know, what sort of Bible reading you need, how much time do you have, is an important question to ask. See, if you've got 15 minutes for a quiet time in the morning before the children wake up and go to be at work and your alarm doesn't go off early enough, whatever, um, you know, you don't want to give yourself 10 chapters a day to read. Because if you can get through 10 chapters in 15 minutes, you're not going to take in much of it. And so you want to think about how much reading can you have and the time that I have allotted for it to be meaningful. And then, of course, the last... Last of these four disciplines is prayer. And the wonderful thing about prayer is particularly when you bring this approach to your quiet time where you, you're bringing your heart before the Lord in order to become, become holy, to better reflect God's holiness and character, prayer becomes 
after meditation, meditating on the Word of God, prayer becomes a means for us to respond to what we've just read. So rather than it just being, you know, Lord, give me today the things I need and, you know, help me to do what I want to do or whatever it is, you know, this, this then becomes, here's what I've learned, here's what the Word of God is teaching, and then even if you feel you do that well, let's say, Let's say, for instance, well, we're here in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Well, right there, let's just stop there. We can apply that to our hearts by saying, Lord, I inherently won't honor you as God. And then, would you help me to honor you the way I ought to? Well, maybe it's giving thanks, and you can say, well, you know what, I don't give thanks enough. But you know, it's not hard when you start to think about the text, and you break it down and just take on a little bit at a time, there's almost always, in fact, I did this challenge one time uh, where, you, where just, we just picked the passage at random. And then we looked at, well, how can we, how can we apply that? And we took Acts chapter 1. And even just submission to authority and things like that is right there. So there's very few passages of Scripture that we can read and not gain serious application points from it. And by doing that, what we're doing is just saying, here's something that is either an example for me to follow, a command for me to obey, something to avoid, you know, or so on and so forth, and then bring that before the Lord, ask for His help to avoid those things or to follow that example or to obey that command and the right heart in doing so with the affections that are lined up. And so prayer becomes an opportunity for us to bring what we've just read to the Lord and ask for His help. It's an opportunity for us to repent and seek forgiveness it's an opportunity for us to ask Him to help us change. It's an opportunity to give thanks for His specific goodness, as it may come out in the passage. It's an opportunity for us to pray for others. Maybe we know other people who we can encourage to give thanks, who we can encourage to honor the Lord as God. So different things to pray for. And, and, and you know, the other thing I want to encourage you to do is to actually keep a prayer list. Organize it by categories. Church, my family, people I work with. Just pick a category and pick two or three and just add as many people to each one of those things as you can. And every day, just pick two or three from each category and just pray for those things and use the application you've just read to pray specifically for that person in that way. So, there's a bit of, there's a, bit of a rush. There's one other area we could go into that I've skipped, um, and that is mornings. Uh, how many of you would prefer to do your quiet time in the morning. I know for young mothers, it's kind of really hard, right? Uh, I want to encourage you to do your quiet time in the morning. I'm going to give you some reasons why, if I can find these notes. Here we go. The morning, I'm going to suggest mornings because, first of all, it's the time you have the most control over, right? Once the day's underway, things happen, people come, people go, phone calls, emails, all this affects you. But in the morning, first thing, you can set that time aside before any of that happens and you can control that time. There's none of those, you know, you can, you can set a routine so that, you know, you don't get those distractions before you come to the Word of God. Another reason for mornings is that we tend to think most clearly in the morning. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't think most clearly in the morning. Um, I can understand that, I think. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I'll give you some tips on how to make a morning work in just a minute. It also sets up your day. If you have your quiet time first thing in the morning, it helps you to prepare your heart for the things you know you're going to have that are going to come about that day. And then you can ask the Lord's help in those things, to actually honor Him in those things. <clears throat> to think about, and that's that question, that last question I have on my journaling prompts, three things I need to do today that will make today a good day. You know, And you can include in that not just the things to do, but the way they need to be done. Uh, it also... And, and, you know, a day that's well-lived, it gives its own reward, doesn't it? We can be more fulfilled in the day knowing that we set out with a goal, we started with the right heart, and, the, and with the Lord's help, we've achieved what we set out to do. It won't always happen that way, but when we do get that, it's a great joy. And finally, by doing a quiet time in the morning, it gives us an opportunity at the end of the day to review and see how we, how we went. Some people actually do it with their journal. They do it in the morning. And then in the evening, they ask themselves different questions like, what could I have done today to have made today a great day or a better day? What went wrong today that I need to confess before I go to sleep? Things like that. So we can then use the end of our day to review earlier in the day. Now, just 
what it's worth, I know that not everybody can do it in the morning. I know that with, with mothers, for instance, um, it doesn't matter how early you get up, your children seem to get up five minutes before you, right? I know how that works. I've been there. And, and so I don't, it's not a rule that you have to do in the morning. I don't want you to think that at all. The idea is to make that time happen. The easiest time for many of us is first thing in the morning. So if you want to do it in the morning, here's some tips. Um, and, and in fact, regardless of when you're going to do it, plan that time ahead. Right? Don't, don't rely on there being an accidental time of the day that your quiet time will magically happen. Because it won't. Right? And so we need to plan that time. And if you're getting up in the morning, first thing, um, when you plan your day, recognize that the first five minutes of, getting, of waking up are going to be the hardest. So set your mind to get through that first five minutes. And here's a couple of ways to do that. Brush your teeth. I don't know if you'd like to. I don't personally, but some people think this is helpful. But brush your teeth. If it helps you to you know, you have your mouth feeling like toothpaste, then... Then that might help. Okay, so brush your teeth, have a drink of water. First thing in the morning, have a drink of water because we lose a lot of fluid overnight. Uh, have a drink of water. Uh, get enough sleep. Don't, don't, you know, if you're going to plan the night before, that means you can say, well, if I'm going to get up at this time, I need to go to bed at this time. Uh, when you're planning that sleep, uh, we actually sleep, I don't know if you know this, but we sleep in 90 minute cycles. And so plan for a 90 minute cycle. So if, you know, last night, we were up talking late, and uh, I went to bed about one-ish, and we were going to get up at six. And so the question was, well, how much sleep are we going to get? Well, I worked out 90-minute cycles. If I fall asleep by half past one, I'll be awake at six, four and a half hours sleep, 90 minutes. But the benefit of those 90-minute cycles is you don't get woken up halfway through a cycle, which is when you feel really groggy. So if you, get, if you wake up at the end of one of those cycles, you'll feel more awake than if you wake halfway through. So it's just a little tip. Uh, don't sleep in. Don't let the alarm, you know, put the alarm somewhere else if need be. Uh, if you can do this regularly, exercise. Some people find it really helpful to exercise before they uh, do their quiet time. Um, and allow time, right? Doing a, doing a quiet time at any time of the day, allow time. In fact, on, you know, you've probably heard it takes 20 days to make something a habit. Have you heard that? Well, that's the Superman. For most of us, it's more like, well, the average time, they actually did some studies on this, and they found that the average time it takes to build a habit is actually 66 days, not 20, 66 days. And it may be as long as 90 days. So depending on kind of your, your own ability to set yourself in routines, give yourself at least two months to make it a habit. Okay, don't give up after three weeks. Make it a habit. Give yourself two months. Here's the key thing about all this, is that a quiet time is not a means for instant change, right? It takes time, day by day, week by week, as you allow the routine to work through those three functions of the heart, and as you allow the three things to affect one another, change will come. As your commitment drives you day by day to the Word of God, the commitment will become a desire. The desire will then change your thinking. Then you go back to the Word of God with fresh thinking. That thinking then informs your, your affections, your desires. And that then informs also your, your ability to, you know, your commitments and your volition. So it doesn't happen quickly. But by setting a routine, by making this a habit, and by doing it in a deliberate and purposeful way, change will come. And then, as we go... As we live our lives, over time, we will grow in holiness. And you know the wonderful thing about that? That's God's will for us. So if we ever ask the question, what is God's will for us? It's that we grow in holiness. The quiet time, this, you know, and, and there's a lot of historical things we could talk about with it, but the quiet time is one of those tools which we've, over time through church history, man has come up with, that have been used in order to help us as Christians grow in holiness. And it's been done this way for a reason. It's because it works. But it works slowly. Sometimes it seems imperceptibly, but it does work. With the right heart, with the right goals, with the right approach, we can grow in holiness. All right, my time is up. Any questions?
Mike. Yeah, how do you do that without beating yourself up? Great question. So the reason we would beat ourselves up is because we would make it a law to ourselves, right? So what we want to be doing then is rather than saying, I have, I have not done it and I should have, which is true, right, is to go back to the, why did I not do it? And, and bear in mind also that I have a greater goal. So when we disconnect the routine from the goal, it becomes about the routine and the routine becomes a law. But if we have a greater goal of saying, I want to grow in holiness, then, it's, then the question is not, you know, oh, bother, I didn't do it, I need to beat myself up. The question then becomes, I've missed out on an opportunity to grow in holiness. And so it changes the way we think about it. So does that answer your question? <laughs> God offers grace, right? We don't, we're not made more holy in terms of our position with God by our quiet time. This is a step to practical holiness. This is a step to me growing in my conformity to Christ-likeness. The more we desire Christ-likeness, the less we will beat ourselves up. Yeah, and, and that's really good. And in fact, you know, we need to be careful not to sort of think of any particular time as holy, right? Because the quiet time is not a holy time. It is a specific and intentional time, but it's no more or less holy than lunchtime, right? Because God consecrated lunchtime. He, he made us to eat. Well, maybe lunchtime's a bad example because some cultures don't have lunch, right? But, but you know the point is that all of life is lived before God. And so the quiet time is, a, is not a holy time as such. Instead, what it is, is a time for us to bring our hearts into conformity to what we read in the Scripture. It's a time set aside for us to specifically and deliberately grow in holiness. Any other questions? It's good. Mr. Beck, Pastor Michael. Do you recommend any kind of regular scheduled meetings or just whatever? Do you practice the open your Bible message wherever I land? Yeah, no. So, yeah, what I recommend is, again, because your desire is to grow in holiness, there's some questions you need to ask ourselves about, well, what do I need to do to grow in holiness? Where am I weak? Here's a good opportunity to ask a friend or, or your pastor or somebody like that who can say to you, you know, if you were to... If you were to look at my life and say, give me an area that I need to work on in terms of my character, what would it be? And so then if they give you an area, and they, if they don't, I can give you a questionnaire so you can figure it all out yourself. I have this, uh, in fact, Stuart Scott, and he's got a book called From Pride to Humility. In that book, he's got 30 questions. Actually, it's not questions. 30 indicators of pride. Okay, I've actually turned those into 30 questions. You can download those on my website as well. But for free. But um, if you go through those points and get someone else to work with you and just sort of say, hey, if, you know, would you rate me on a one to five on this? Five being this is a serious issue, one being this isn't an issue. You'll very quickly find areas, probably two or three, that you can work on in terms of practical holiness. What you then want to do is then make a note in your journal of when you do your reading, how does this apply to this particular area? Right? And start to think through the specifics and so that can actually drive the Bible reading plan you use. Like, for, you know, for instance, if I, if I don't have um, a love for the church, for instance, maybe I want to take a book like Ephesians and read through that slowly, a book that's going to teach me you know, what God thinks of the church and how the church should work, or First and Second Timothy and Titus, <clears throat> passages like that. So you can then pick out, you know, passages that are, that are going to be helpful and relevant to your specific needs. Or it could even be more generic. It could be that, you know what, I need to understand God's holiness more. And that's one of the key things to learn in the Pentateuch, right? God set up all these laws and rules for Israel to follow because He is holy. That is the whole point of the, of, the, of the covenant He made in the desert with the people. You are my people. As I am holy, you are to be holy, right? And so the whole Pentateuch, all the laws of Leviticus are all there to teach us what God requires of His people in terms of holiness. The, the specifics of that have now changed thanks to Christ. 
but the general principle of Christ and God's holiness are still relevant. So that's how I would approach that. Again, um, there's, I keep referring to my website. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, DarylBurling.com. Here we go. But if you go there, there's actually a, um, I have a, a questionnaire, just like a quiz type thing you can follow, and it will, it will ask you, I think, six or seven questions, and then suggest for you a Bible reading plan that's suited for that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and there's a there's a real there is something in corporate reading plans as well. I mean, that's another great tool. Um, the reason I don't push that too hard though is because a most churches don't do that, uh, and and b most people struggle with their own Bible reading plans as it is. And so, if I was gonna if I was, I'm not saying you should change. Don't get me wrong, but if someone was to come to me and they were to say, should I follow my pastor's reading plan or should I pick something for my own personal sanctification? It's a, it was a bit of a no-brainer, but, but carry on with it. I think that's great. I would rather have you reading the Bible than not, right? <laughs> so, um, and it's, there's a real benefit in that if, if, you're, if as a congregation you're all learning and reading together as well. So that's a benefit, and, and that can be a, a real benefit if you're meeting during the week and discussing what you've learned from your reading too. So that's a good thing, yeah. And that can actually add a dimension to it that you wouldn't get in your personal reading, so that's really good, yeah. All right, well, should we... Uh, Close in prayer and wait for everybody else to come in. Let's do that. Lord, we are again thankful for the means of grace that you have given to us, for the ability for us to make choices and decisions about how we spend our time and the things that are important to us. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Would you give to us a greater affection for holiness Lord, if this is your affection, if this is your desire, if this is what you love, holy people, would you help us to love holiness too? Would you help us not only to love it, but to live it? And as we live it, to get that understanding of how our holiness fulfills your purpose and plan for us, that we can prove your will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, and that you would be glorified by the way we live by the things that do come from our heart. Lord, we ask this that your name would be glorified. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.